0: Father, Lord, we, uh, come before you this morning and I thank you for just, uh, for this opportunity and time and for all that are here. And Lord, that you would just bless them abundantly, Father. And that you would just go through us all, that the Holy Spirit would just fill this place, fill our spirits and our hearts, our minds. And Lord, that, uh, Lord, it is that we, we hear you speaking, Father. Forget my voice, we want to hear yours. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just, again, just bless everyone here. For those that couldn't be here, that you would just uh, minister to them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm just going to kind of go through real quick what we went over last time. In chapter 3, it kind of began with instructions to, to husbands, husbands and wives to be strong in your marriages. Because of the things that were going on, within the lives of all these people, which is the kind of stuff we see going on today, more or less. To be strong in your marriages, because of the fact of the matter, is the first thing that goes out the window when things are going bad in life is your marriage, typically. That's typically one of the first things that happens. And and Peter knew this. Peter knew this by being a disciple of Christ, right there by his side, but also Peter knew this being married himself, and firsthand witnessing the things that were going wrong in the lives of, uh, of his people that were scattered throughout Asia Minor at this time, being persecuted, chances are you probably heard that you know of the separations, the divorces, the within believers, and that is happening so much today. Been talking to Mimi about that so much, even within Christians, that how the, the divorce rate is just uh, it, it's crazy. It's it's too large, and I, I got to tell you, by reading this, by reading chapter three, it's kind of an encouragement to to read this because I, I think it's time to kind of slow down the business of divorce lawyers, right? I mean, it, it's that's the one thing—not to take away anybody's bread—but that is something that's not real, something that's not real noble to be a part of, in my opinion. Here, that, that again, you're going through this. Read chapter three. Second, he goes over into the suffering for doing good and reminding the readers not to worry about those who're going to harm you physically, because yes, maybe they can harm you physically, but they can't touch your soul. There's nothing that could be done to, you, to your soul because you are in the hands of God. And that is what he went through. That's yeah, what he was encouraging. So next as we venture into the next chapter, we're going to venture in living for God and to continue to look for the unsearchable, unsearchable riches of Jesus here. And that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, there's so much that he has, so much that he does that is just mysterious and, and powerful. And I'm going to start here in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So what we have is we have this strong beginning in Peter's letter. Through Christ's death on the cross was victory, right? The spilling of his blood was victory. So arm yourselves with the same attitude, attitude, because those who receive Jesus in their hearts share in that glory. They share in the glory that He has put in store for us. As we read in chapter one before, that there is a um, that we have this hope in God, and that we have we have an an inheritance that's never going to spoil or perish. So that was in chapter one. So He's giving us that example again. That you know what we're going to share in His glory through the sufferings. So he was an example like no other. Even, even though he suffered in his body on the cross, he, he suffered in all of the other things we did as well that we tend to forget about. Okay, So the, the first thing we hear from people is when, you tell, when, when you're telling somebody about Christ, right? whatever you're going through, you're hurt. I think one of the first responses, whether it be out loud or in the mind of somebody, is what could he possibly know what I'm going through? right? I mean, I'm sure we might have heard that before. We might have even said that ourselves. What could he know what we're going through. Well, number one, he knows everything that we're going through. There isn't one thing that, that he does not know. But number two, what we tend to forget, as I might have mentioned the last time, is that he, he lived just as we did. If you want to turn real quick, just a few pages back to Hebrews chapter four. I'm going to give you an example. In chapter four, verse 14 through 16, of something that I, when I was in the, uh, this book with the uh, young adult... This was a very cool passage that gives us that idea. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet was without sin, let us then approach the throne of grace with, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I, I've always said it's important to spend time with God, with the Lord, with God, to know Him in the most personable way. Okay, so to know Him in that most personable way, because this passage that I read revealed to the fact that He was again a child. He was just like us. How He how He grew up and the things He, he went through. Yeah, and the one thing he revealed to me when I asked him was just like, "What was your life like, Father? What was your life like growing up?" Because we don't think about that. We we forget about the fact that he was he was born as a as of a human. We forget the fact that he was he was a child too at one time, okay? And that he grew up he grew up having to do the same things we did. You know, to think about it, it was like he he was rejected. He had to have been t- rejected as a child just as he was through his ministry, right? I mean, nobody ever likes to see a child be rejected or, or hurt, and so on and so forth. You know, it, its I'm sure he was rejected when they played with one another. Uh, you know how kids it can be, you know, sometimes. It, it, they can be harsh, and I'm sure that I just know he's been through this. And we forget these things. We don't think about these things sometimes. Something he revealed to me. Through my own personal prayer and time spent with him, is that it's very, very important to know him and to remember what what he went through. But the cool thing is, is that even as a child, his heart was the same. Right, his heart was exactly the same as a child as he was as as his older age, showing the love and the unconditional love. And it's easy to tell because a lot of how we are is due to what what we went through as children. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that I'm this way because of how I was raised. I am this way because of what I went through. My parents did this. My parents did that. And it, it, and it's a reflection of what we become. And, and so, it's because of what I went through is, is the reason, is what you hear a lot of times. Christ is the same forever today. You know, yesterday forever the same. He's the same. He never changed. So really like what it comes down to is he came he came for us when no one else cares or when no one else cared when we weren't wanted which, which those traits of people are acted out in sin which he came to defeat on the cross that's, that's what he came to defeat so it, it comes down to remembering who we worship know who he is and what he has done right and, and, the, and then the last verse it said here it said the thing that hit was was that he lived. He lived the rest of his earthly life for the will of God and not for the uh, evil human desires. That's what, that's what needs to be remembered. That's what he lived for. And that's what he's trying to teach us through these things. And if we could go ahead and continue in verse 3. Verse 3, For you have spent enough time in the past, what pagans cho- uh, choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, lewdness, caressing and detestable idolatry, they think it is strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even of those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live accordingly to God in regard to the spirit. So as I read this, it sounds obvious that really peer pressure was it was an issue back then? Even we had peer pressure, give or take two, three thousand years ago, even from people. Let's look back in history here as we go into the Old Testament with Moses on Mount Sinai. The peer pressure, the, the peer pressure of of the people that kind of like got on Aaron's case to uh, to make that golden calf that uh, that they wanted to worship, and, and Aaron fell into that. So here's Moses on Mount Sinai, right? And can you imagine? He comes down, and here comes Moses, and he witnesses the world's biggest, wildest block party going on. He didn't, you know, wasn't his to throw. And that's what he sees. Can you imagine the look on his face, right? You've seen television where where the parents come home, and they see this big party in the house, and you see the eyes pop out, the mouth drop, and then as they look around more, the the jaws drop even farther down. I can only imagine this was the look on Moses' face. That I just I cannot believe what I am seeing here. Now the Bible is wrote this. he did not write down you know specifically everything that was going on, which we could probably be, be thankful for. But the fact of the matter was is that there was a there was a golden calf being worshiped, and Aaron's response was just like, Hey man, it jumped out of the fire. Um, what more can I tell you? You know, and it was it, it was one of those things that was just like, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And, and that's what it is. It's that flood of dissipa- dissipation, I believe it's, as I just read it, if I'm pronouncing it right, it's that flood that people are shocked that you do not join them in this. It's very rare that you ever hear anybody praising somebody for doing good throughout their lives, but they're more shocked about the fact that you have never done this or that. It's more of a shock than somebody actually trying to stay on that straight and narrow path. You know, we could look back at Babylon, right? And uh, Babylon fell. Sodom and Gomorrah got a rain of fire on it. From all of the things that God seen what was going on there, he surely did not like what was going on. Okay, so, and and then we go also back to, to uh, Edom, you know, pop, populated by the Edomites, that, that God destroyed that area of Edom, right? And what, and what did they say to him? They said, well, go right ahead and destroy it because we're going to rebuild it. God's like, no, you're not. It's not going to happen. They made the threat; it never happened again. To this day, I don't think anything's anything's there, but nothing but a bunch of jagged red rocks in a desert. To this day, so God's promise stood true. It stood true. It never happened. Now, the interesting word used is the flood of dissipation. In chapter three, verse twenty uh, through twenty-one, Peter speaks of Noah as as a flood of dissipation was ruining the earth. It was a it was a flood that God sent to wash everything away that was going on on the earth at that time. And I like that, how Peter puts a flood of dissipation that was going on. And we all know we've seen what floods do. Okay, and this is what was going on. A flood of this stuff is going on throughout the earth. So in verse 4, they think it's strange that you don't join them. And and I think we have all experienced that. Everybody here from the younger to, to the older have experienced that somewhere in our lives from other people. Of why, why haven't you done this before? See, I, I myself, I, I've never touched a drug in my life, right? And I, and that shocks more people than anything. You, you've never touched drugs? It's like, no, I've got enough problems that it is. That's the last thing I need. Right? I've always had a fear of it. I, I, I mean, people, friends of mine, I would watch friends of mine do it. Um, and, and, and that is one thing that the, that the Lord has kept me away from, and I'm thankful for, and there must have been a really good reason for it. Okay? But when people hear that, they're shocked. Really? You've never done this? You've never done that? No. And very very seldomly do you hear, wow, good for you. You hear, oh, man, you're missing out. Really? Okay, well, I've, I've literally seen what it's done. And, and, and that's the response that we get. See, even as adults, adults that I've worked with and dealt with before, too, sometimes never change. And, and I've gotten the same response, too, that, oh, you've never done that? You've never done this? These are people old enough to be my, my parents sometimes, and they're still doing these things. It's that flood that overtakes our, our souls and our minds that keeps us farther from God. There, there's a, it's biblical that the farther we get from ourselves, the closer we get to God. The, the farther we get from ourselves. And that, that is so true. That is so true. I'm going to turn real quick, and you can you could, uh, turn with me if you want, to uh, John chapter 5. And I'm going to give you an example of this. John chapter 5. I just went through this with the high school not too long ago. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. There was a healing at the pool. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to, to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Vesta. Uh, Beth, Beth, yeah, I, I believe that's the way it's pronounced. I am horrible with that. And which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here is a great number of disabled people that used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, pick up your, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So what we had here is we had this pool of healing going on. And what would, what would happen is, is in this particular pool, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the water of this pool. And then whoever was next in line to be healed would go down into this pool and, and then were miraculously healed through this. And as we read here, Jesus was kind of shocked at the fact that this guy had been sitting here for, for years in the, in the same spot but never made his way to get, to get to that pool to be healed. He knew that. He knew all things as he witnessed this, He came and seen this. And Jesus himself questioned it. Why? Why have you not... Why have you not tried to heal yourself? I mean, it was what, 30, 38 years he'd been in this condition, it said? That's a long time. I think time goes a little slower when you're living in this kind of condition, if you will. Right? So this must have been a hard, this must have been a hard one for him. So as I'm going to jump into verse 13 and 14, Jesus gave him a specific instruction here which really makes sense. It says, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was, the, that it was Jesus who made him well because the Pharisees at this time were wanting to jump his case about healing on the Sabbath or the fact that this guy actually picked up his mat on the Sabbath and, and took it with him, which was a, a big thing that the Pharisees uh, looked at as a big no-no, right? Jesus gave him an important instruction: Stop sinning. Stop sinning in this, because it will eventually it will eventually kill you. And and I and I, I fear of our stubborn ways and in between the works of the enemy that we get caught up in in the things that we that we want to do that, that that at times we're addicted to that will one day take a toll on us. And this is what happened to this guy. Jesus knew it. He didn't flat out say like you know. All right, carry on. You know, you'll be fine. No, he said, stop, or else it will eventually kill you. And and I, I think that was an important message to all, as we as we want to continue in the things that we do that hurt us, right? And it's, it's 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 our stubbornness, it's ourselves within ourselves that we look at that we just don't want to let go. And and that is that is a dangerous place to be. And 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 the Lord knows that He knows that. And that's why these that's why these epistles, these letters of encouragement were sent. And that's why they were they were brought out to you, to us, from the apostles that were firsthand right there next to our Lord to witness firsthand of everything that He did and said. And then passed on to us, and for us to pass on to others. As I mentioned before to others, that that, you know, sometimes the sins of the parents that the kids it gets passed on to the kids and so on and so forth. And it is, it is very important for, for the parents and, and even grandparents to be the examples and, and to be strong, strong for the kids because as we have such black and white going on in our, in our world, it seems to me at times like sometimes the darker side is forcing its way more into the light because more people are falling into this flood of dissipation that Peter is referring to. We must walk from this. We must run from it. Run to the light, is what he's saying. It's important. Even for us adults, it could happen to any of us. In verse 7, now this is, in verse 7 through 11, it's heavier. Verse 7 through 11, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hosp- hospitality one without another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should, he should do it as, a, as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the, the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen, he says. And really, he could have stopped there, but he doesn't, right? But I I highlighted this, right? So here's a reminder of something to think about. The the end of all things are near. And then he kind of gives off the list of things to do, right? He gives off the list of things to do from 7 to 11 here. Now, there's been the questions and surveys throughout the years given to people what would you do if you knew you were going to be gone tomorrow or the next week or last days, right? And I've heard so many different things. It's almost like the uh, the famous bucket list. You know, what it, what are you going to do? And, and, and everybody had something different. You know, I'm going to jump out of an airplane. I'm going to do all the things I never, you know, got to do before.
1: But really, the important
0: thing is it's, it's like loving one another deeply. I think the, the one thing you hear most, whether it's from believers or not, is I need to get a hold of those that I didn't get a chance to say I love you, to or to make the wrong things right. Okay? Because, again, as Peter said, the end of all things is near. It wasn't more or less a prediction of what's coming in the book of Revelations, which it might have been, but for Peter himself, he knew that all things were near for him. He knows that all things are near for us, no matter how old we are. We forget that when we wake up sometimes, that we don't know when our last days are. And I've been speaking that a lot, and, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people look at that and think like, oh gosh, what's going to happen to you? Do you have some sort of bad thoughts? And now it's not the case. The reason I say that is because of what I have seen over the years from people like, people in my family, people I have worked with, people that I care about, within a matter of seconds are gone. Unexpectedly, unknowingly, stricken with disease, car accidents, murders, all the sins that we see here that are going on in the world, are happening right before our very eyes within a matter of seconds. You want a bucket list? Well, Peter just gave it to us right now. <laughs> okay, very important. 7 through 11. I highlighted that whole passage. Now, it's something I just started doing in my Bible. I've never been one to highlight things before, but I, as of recently, I've been. And the reason being is because there are certain passages that have hit me so hard that I do it for a reason. It's to be memorized, right? And he said, that, you know, in, in Hebrews that... Uh, you know, ever, the things are not to be put on the tablets, right, that, that you read about, but put, the tablets are going to be on your heart. And that is what I, that's why I started to highlight these things, is because they're the things to be memorized, the things to be followed. Okay, so I, I started highlighting things, and I, I highlighted this whole thing. Right, and, and, and through this, verse 11, if anyone speaks, he should do as one speaking the words of God. See, just recently I went to... uh Back in March, you know, I've been going to pastors' conferences o- over the past few years out in Tucson, which is held over the, a very large Calvary Chapel church, and uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the ch- uh, Calvary Chapel pastors from around the country come in and speak. And a lot of these guys are veterans that have been doing this from anywhere from 20 to 40 some years. And so I I, I learn something new every time, which is which is great. This is why I go there. I don't just go there for my own personal. Recharging of the batteries. I mean, yes, it is part of what needs to be done, but it was almost as if Moses, when he went up to the mountain, he just he went up there to bring something back to the people, right? He, he brought back, he brought back because God had spoken to him, right? And, and that's that's why I went. Uh, it's very important, and and my memory is horrible. That's why I buy the CDs and the and the, uh, and the DVDs as well because I have to watch them again. And every time I do, everything starts to refresh. Everything starts to come back. And, and, and it brings a comfort of things that we hear over and over. That's why we have the Bible. Do we just read it once and close it and put it in a vault? No. That's the last thing we could ever do. It's here for us to continue to read, to be reminded. How you continue to come here? To follow these things. And, and, and to learn. It would be like me going there and basically coming back and just not, you know, not sharing anything. The one thing I did learn, as it, as it said right here, is he is should do as, as one speak from the words of God. There was this one pastor that was talking about uh, Chuck Smith, who, who was the founder of Calvary Chapels. He was actually there. He, he's been, he's been uh, pastoring for, I believe, 50 years. And the one thing that he was talking about was the fact that he would, when he's speaking to Chuck, he, he wants to ask him a personal question that he wants his opinion on. And Chuck's response always is, well, the Word of God says, and then he was like, well, wait, I want to hear your opinion. He's like, well, this is what the Bible says. <laughs> and he would, he just kind of kept pushing him and pushing him. Chuck would not give his personal opinion. And I kind of learned something from that, that was like, well, that's that's smart, right? That 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 that's pretty smart because my personal opinion could be the demise of something of something biblical. Could be could be against something that's biblical. So the the one thing that I think that was that was the message here was the fact that that after all of these years, pastoring for fifty years or, or however long, learning to quote nothing but the Word of God, because the Word of God is perfect. The Word of God is is everything that we need, right? As I mentioned, I remember doing a, uh, I remember being up here a while back, and I used, I used Dennis uh, Morgan here as an example. You weren't here for this, I remember that. Uh, Dennis is, a, is an airline pilot. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, an airline pilot refers a lot of his ga- to his gauges, if I'm, if I'm correct, right? They more or less really refer to their gauges on what, where they're going and what they're doing. Well, this is our gauge right here. Right? This, this right here is our gauge. This right here is everything that, that we must refer to to keep from crashing or from, from keeping the landing into the wrong airport. (laughs) Right? So, amen to that. And that is it. The Word of God, perfect. Perfectly put. That we must be, that we must be quoting. And Which I found wise. Why did I find it wise? Because with that comes wisdom, conviction, comfort, historical reference, and future reference. Nothing to do with what I think or with what anybody thinks. Again, anyone speaks, he should do it as speaking the word of God. I want to remind everybody something that I've learned a long time, ago: that if anybody, any man, woman, anybody, if anybody sounds good at the pulpit whether it's Chuck Smith, whether it's Billy Graham, whether it's John or myself, it is not us. It's us lip-syncing through God. We lip-sync for God is all this is. It has nothing to do with us. That's all it is. We lip-sync for Him. If anybody sounds good, that's the reason. I just want to remind everybody of that. It's what I was reminded of. In verse 12, which refers to the suffering of being a Christian, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that, that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as of a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So I guess what Peter is saying here is, is, we all have a tendency at times to say, "Why, why me, God? Why me? Why do I, why do I go through this?" Well, we have been given some some references in the past here. We heard Paul's version of Rome of Romans chapter five, verse three and four: "To rejoice in our sufferings, for our sufferings brings perseverance, and per- perseverance brings hope." That was that was coming from Paul the apostle, the guy who pretty much has been through every kind of uh, of suffering you can as a follower of Christ. James chapter 1 verse 2 consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Right? James 2, the half brother of Jesus, the guy that the guy that what, growing up with Jesus was not close to his to his own half brother here. But became a very strong disciple influence after the fact when Jesus presented himself to him. And even James himself died for the, name of, for the name of God. And not because of the fact that he was his half-brother, but because of the fact that he knew who he was and what he had to do. Consider it, pure joy. Now, as we read this and we think about this, and we think to ourselves, like, wow, nobody in their right mind can do that. I mean, can I, who here really likes to get hurt? I didn't think anybody would raise their hands, so I, I figured I'd ask anyways, but uh, Nobody does. Nobody does, but it must. It has to be done. It has to be done, and I, I'm guilty of it. I've been guilty of it before, of, of crying out, "Why me? Why this? Why that?" And I continue to do it. And, and but then I'm reminded when I open this book up. I'm reminded through those older and wiser than me that counsel of why it must be done. Of why it must be done. Okay, so. Verse 15 brought up something interesting that if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief, which is a result of really paying for our actions. I was talking to Dave in the back there earlier. Dave here does prison ministry every every other weekend, and he was speaking of some of the some of the men that he gets to talk to. That, that man, they're just so for the Lord. But but what what got them there was through their suffering. It, it was what they had to go through. That got them closer to the Lord. Because he's with us. He's with us even in the darkest places. And that's unfortunately where these guys are at right now. They're in prison, but man, right now they're on fire for the Lord. And it it took them to go through this to lead them. Right? See, it says don't be surprised. See, us believers at times, we're going to be attacked for no reason. I think we've experienced that too. And Jesus refers to us as his sheep, and he is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he says, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And, and, and the sheep are, if anybody's ever done any type of research on sheep, the sheep are, are, are innocent animals, right? They're not the most intelligent, but they're innocent animals. You don't really typically hear of a story of, of a sheep viciously attacking something or someone. I think that would be that would be due to demonic possession, I suppose. But I, I have never yet once read or heard of such a thing. They are considered innocent, innocent and, and gentle creatures. I was reading a story a while back. This was really cool. This is actually a true story, not some fiction deal. It was a true story about. Uh, it was during World War One that uh, over in Israel, a group of Turkish soldiers. Uh, attempted to steal a bunch of sheep as the, as the shepherd was, was asleep. Well, the shepherd was awoken by the sheep, you know, bang as they're, you know, as they're going up this hillside from a distance. Well, of course, the shepherd, uh, he couldn't do much considering the fact that he had a bunch of Turkish soldiers with weapons running off with his sheep, right? He, there was nothing he could really do to them physically. What did he do? He yelled out to them. He yelled out to the sheep, and all the sheep turned around and came right back. And those soldiers couldn't do anything about it. That's all he did, because the shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Amen. They know the shepherd's voice. Peter's reminding us to be to be listening to the to the shepherd's voice as well. He, he's reminding of this. They all came back. Come back to the voice of Jesus, right? That's what it is. We all get into the, we all get into these realms at times of darkness when things do not go right. Again, I'm guilty of it. I'm not going to sit here and uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how strong I am. I'd be lying to you. That, that that's not me at times. And, and and I continue to encourage as we are praying for all of you that all of you would be praying for us and for the leaders of the churches. Not whether it be here or for the leaders of the churches all over the valley. Why? Because at times we're the, most, we're the most open targets for attack. Satan does not like what goes on here. He does not like you hearing the Word of God. He does not like you reading it. He does not like anything that has to do with the light. And so therefore, Peter in his last days here sends this message of encouragement to us. To the people at this time, during these times, which were passed down to us, to continue, continue to be to be walking with him. Again, continue to pray for us, because it, again, that's 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 what the enemy wants. He wants the death of of the ones teaching, and the ones encouraging, and and and. We must be standing together and fighting together through prayer, through encouragement, through loving one another as he commanded. As he said in here, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, as as a church family, it's easy with quarrels and certain things that go on to to, to walk away from one another because of the fact that we might not be blood-related. No, we might not be blood-related, all of us, but we are heart-related. We're soul-related. Because even us blood-related relatives they are going to be in heaven together, we're going to be there together nonetheless. We're not going to know any different. All we know is that we are of one family. That's the only thing we're going to know. That's the one thing that he is basically encouraging and letting us know, to love one another deeply because of, that, because of the multitude of sins that were covered. The multitude of sins that were covered were through through the loss of of every drop of blood that Jesus had to offer. That's that's what it is. That's what was the multitude that was covered through that. You know, he never said that being a follower of him is going to be easy, but because of the because of the world we live in, it's, it's not easy for the ones who don't follow him either. Right? I mean, I think at one time, at one time in our lives, we weren't. We weren't following him, right? And as we are, things aren't really—even as we are, things aren't always perfect. But we forget what it was like when we when we weren't either. And how much more, as he said here, is it's hard for the righteous to be saved. But what what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? It comes down to a double set. A double set of torture is what it comes down to, and it's easy to walk away. We, we have an important task ahead of us. We have we have an important we have an an important mission. Everybody here has a has a destiny of some of some sort in our lives. Some of us are some of us are teachers. Some of us are, are evangelists and, and and mission oriented. Uh, some of us just serve in every, in every multitude that we can, which is needed. All of that is what's needed to complete, complete the, of what a church is. The living stones, which are the people, which are every one of us, is what, is what is needed to complete what the church is. Is the church, again, the church is not the setting or the building. The church is the people. And the important thing I think what, what's being taught here is the fact that the, do people come to church or are people are the, are the church? I think there's a difference between that. The people that just go to church and then there's people that are the church. And and that's what we need to be remembering too is, is that we are we are to be the church. Through this conclusion when, when we read these letters from the disciples we sometimes forget that most of these, these letters that we read from Paul, James, Peter, uh, John also, all of these were pretty much were written, in, were written in prison. I think we forget that. And, and how encouraging it is to be able to read such things and be like, wow, this is really cool. But then we forget, oh, man, this guy was locked up. I mean, we have Paul the Apostle. I mean, this guy, all, his letters are written throughout prison, throughout a prison time. And, and in the worst prisons you could ever imagine. You know, I mean, there was, I think there was one stint where he was in Rome under house arrest, right? Where he, him being a Roman citizen, he probably had a few perks, but he was, he was allowed a house to where he was kind of under house arrest where people could come and visit him. But when he wasn't there, he was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He was always chained to a Roman guard. Knowing Paul, all, all this stuff that we read, was written as he was, as he was chained to a guard. Knowing Paul, he probably preached to the guard that was right there, chained to him. And, and I think that's forgotten. I think that's forgotten at times. And I, I wish I could have been. I wish I could have been one of the many flies on the wall. You know, there had to have been a few in those prisons. Um, to be able to to be able to witness this. I mean, these guys, either one of two things happened. They are probably just like, oh, I can't wait for the next shift. Get, get this other guard in here now. I can't take anymore, right? I mean, that, that could have been one. Or number two, Paul made a difference in the, into the lives of these guards that, were, that he was chained to. Peter himself, and in Peter's case, he knew what was coming. You know, he knew what was coming his way in prison. He knew that he was waiting execution, just as they all were. They weren't, going to, they weren't going to be released and set out to go ahead and do what they were going to do. Their time was sent there to suffer and then to die. And Peter knew this. My time is short. That's typically what you'll hear a lot of it, my time is short. Peter just said it And again, the end of all things is near. And he was probably referring to himself because he knew that all things were near. And he knew that as he wrote the, things of, of the list of the things to do, the, of the bucket list as I like to call it, he, this is all he had to offer. Was something to leave behind. That was going to go out 2,000 years later for people to read and to follow. Jesus came and lived amongst people, and some, some witnessed his suffering, and, and some witnessed his glory after. Right? You had the handful of people that witnessed his death on the cross, you had the handful of people that witnessed his, his, his rising. And, and witnessed his miraculous healings and the miraculous things that he's done. The purpose of his letter was, was letting us know what he experienced through Jesus himself. This was it. If there's anything, if there's any mystery to be unsolved or to be solved here of this, this is probably just one small one right there. It, 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 was, it was his experience that he learned through the Father. And as he suffered, he later ex- experienced Glory. Right? And, and Jesus, He became a man and paid the price so that our trials and suffering would not be meaningless. That's it. So that, that it, would, it would not be meaningless. He came and lived amongst us. And He went through the things that we went through. We forget that. He had a childhood. You know, He, 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 he had to work. He had, you know, He was a carpenter. And then at the age of 30, he began his ministry, which typically in the, in the Jewish culture, most rabbis or anybody in the, in the Jewish culture is not allowed to teach or basically do anything until the age of 30, when you're considered a younger man and able to do so. Interesting fact, right? Jesus, at the age of 30, started with his ministry and lasted for three years until his time was up. But look at how much he did over three years. Now, as I, as I, as I conclude and end this, there was a shirt in my closet here. Some guy met—I uh, want to say it was a couple years ago—at a, at a mother on Mother's Day in a restaurant parking lot. I, I think he went to a Calvary Chapel somewhere in the valley. He was—he was talking to—I he was talking to, to Annie. Now, now, granted that none of us knew this guy, I don't know how we got to meet this guy, but he was a believer. And this guy—he had—he had a printing business where he printed out shirts, and. It, if you want to see with your own eyes what the meaning of this chapter has to do with, is if you could see it right here. If everyone could see this. If everyone could see this. Now, when you see this, you think to yourself like, well, I mean, this is a pretty popular picture. But when you see this, you think like, wow, how perfect is it? How clear is this picture of who he was and how he was? And and that when I see this, this guy that he's holding up is every one of us. At one way, or or it's going to be at some time. This is every one of us. And, and, And you can see here, it looks like as if Jesus is whispering into his ear. There's no telling what it, you know, what the meaning of it is. And my my outlook is when I see this, I picture him saying, "It's okay. I've got you now. You're not going to fall because I'm holding you. You're mine now. Nothing is going to happen to you." As I read this chapter, we all want to see a picture sometimes. Well, this was the picture that I got to see. I got led right to my closet. And I wear this shirt every now and then. I I, I need to wear it more often. I, I don't know. I think he gave me a couple. I think this one's a little too small. But nonetheless, it, it was something that I, whether I wear it or not, I could actually pull it out and look at it. Because we need to see these things sometimes. This is a reminder of of, of First Peter. The whole book. Now, I don't know when the next time I'm going to be able to come up here and, and teach... Chapter Five, which was the, the last story, which again is another heavy book, as they all are. I don't know when that's going to be next time, but that what we just seen right there is the meaning, is is the big picture that was painted. We're going to fall, we're going to suffer, we're going to go through all things, and we need to remember that we need to be, we need to be standing next to him or. And not be walking away from him because he from this picture he caught somebody as he was as he was falling and he could not stand. And again, I, I think it was perfect for this. you know it, it, I have my tough times. I have my hard weeks, I have my hard days. I had a really tough day on Friday that I, I, I could almost I could just picture it. It's just like, well, that's yeah, ironic how I went through a really hard time on Friday. And then I get a phone call saying you're up on Sunday. I'm like, yeah, I figured. <laughs> but you know what? So be it. Right? Because you know that that's what's going to happen. You know that, you know that the enemy's going to be right there, you know, with that invisible trip line as you're ready to, you know, as you're ready to cross that line into doing his work. And you know that he's going to be right there ready to trip you. But as you just saw, he's going to be right there ready to, ready to catch you. So. 1 Peter chapter 4. For those that weren't here, read chapter 3. Study it. Remember it. It's powerful. It hits home. It's truth. It's God's Word. It's perfect, just as He is. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we, we thank you for, thank you for this time. And Lord, the things you, you speak to me, Lord, is, is the things that are that are most important, Father. Which is which is being up here, which is being with your people, which is praying with your people for your people, and and us and praying for one another. I ask Lord that you would just again anoint all, Father, Lord, that are here. And Lord, that you would just continue to raise us all up, Father. Raise us all up. Because Lord, what you have taught me is, is that, that ministry, ministry first and foremost foremost, starts in our household. And a lot of times it's to end in our household. Lord, I, I lift this time up to you. And I just I thank you for for getting us through these times, Lord, that could stumble us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.